Hello there! Welcome to the 80th episode of the Dad and Sons Show. As yeah. I mentioned to these guys earlier, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again without realizing any changes happening. So here we are again. We've gotten better at this. Have we? Have we? Yeah, Have we... we... Remember how, like, uh, much awkward silences there were in the earlier episodes? And how, we... um... Wait, wait, you didn't edit those out? No, I've started editing them out, but we've, like, I feel that we have naturally... So we got better at editing. We haven't actually got better at podcasting. Getting better at editing podcasts is like getting better at editing podcasts. It's the same. It's some, we some don't pause problem. anymore. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my God. We don't pause. We're oh also God. so good at it that I still haven't been able to introduce your names without interruptions. We have yeah. George Weedman, Matt Visual, <laughs> and myself, Liam Edwards. I love how you nervously waited. To ruin your day once again. Hey, guys. What have you been playing? Whoa, look at him straight into it. Do you uh, have George? a life story? Did you get robbed? Uh, did the police come back? You know, is your PS4 okay? Um, n- no, no, n- no. Um, no, I your PS4 is not did, okay. Did, I mean, I, I would be lies if I did lie and say nothing eventful happened. But I will say um, I had a I had a pretty uh, wild birthday. And that would be... Strippers. No, no more like... Oh, that's an American Liam, pa- Papa Liam drank too much. Papa oh, Liam, yeah. You mentioned pa- the, the burrito. Oh, oh, God. The burrito. Yeah. Yeah. Was, was that coming out? The top way the, or the bottom that way? Was, that was coming out. Both I wish ways. it was coming out. I wish it was coming out the bottom way, to be honest, considering. Um, no, it came out the top way. I got gifted a burrito. Everybody knows. k here in Kyoto, one of the best places to eat. They gifted me a burrito for my birthday. We had a nice party down the river, true traditional Kyoto style. Um, a wonderful amount of people came out, like the game dev community here in Kyoto, which made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, yeah, but uh, safe to say, I drank a little too much. Let's just let's just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Just as you can imagine. Just, you know. Okay, but it, it was so much that the next day I slept until 7 p.m. Slept right through until 7 p.m. on Saturday. And uh, then contemplated all my life choices up until that moment. <laughs> I do not like imagining the mouthfeel of like spicy oh, food coming out. Oh, it was like, it was like, it was so much that it got to a point where my, my gag reflex was, nothing was coming out, but it was still wanting to go. Oh. Like it was still like gagging and it hurt. And I was like, "This is pain. Oh my. This this is good. Oh dear. podcasting material. Oh, right there. Anyone oh. eating yeah. right now? Anyone eating right now? Please stop. Hopefully, you're eating a burrito. No, yeah. Is anybody is anybody enjoying? If you're enjoying a burrito right now, I I fully, I'm right there with you. Burritos are great. Just don't drink vodka, tequila, beer, and shochu. Oh my god! All in one night. Oh. That's, uh, so you had, I'm, I'm, okay, there's one of two ways that could go. You either had A, a little bit of everything, or B, a lot of everything. I either way, you had like, everything. I had a lot of beer. Beer is, like, all I can drink. Like, I am a, 
I am a truly terrible drinker in regards to variety. I can't drink anything other than beer, really. I am terrible at drinking spirits because this kind of thing happens. So usually, very typically, I will stay away from stuff like hard liquor, like whiskey and vodka and stuff like that. Traditionally, you, gotta, always... you just gotta try it. The, the thing is, when I came over here to California, I didn't drink any of that. But I... once you, you just you force yourself to try it out, or people force your, <laughs> force you to Man, try yeah, it, you and see, you eventually like... develop like a, a taste for things that you like. I I yeah. like a good I like a good like shochu, like a good sake, like a good Japanese drink, like the mm. rice tasting I'm, alcohol. I'm... I'm ready to keep the ambulance on speed dial if I drink like more than one kind of beer in a night. Wow. Slow. Whoa. Be careful, George. More than one beer you might get crazy. I, I think on Twitter you mentioned that you actually blacked out. And I don't think like oh, I have shit. I have Thanks, fallen dude. asleep while drunk, but I don't know if I've ever blacked out. I don't, I don't, like, I, when I was a ki- kid, like, I don't know what the definite, the term Kid with quotation out. fingers. Like, falling asleep, like, I think is the appropriate word. Well, blacking out, I feel like, is falling asleep, traditionally. Like, drunk falling asleep. Huh. So, uh, yeah, because I definitely have, like, fallen asleep at MAGFest on people's beds while, while super drunk. Um, I mean, that's very similar, right? That's what I would, I mean, mine was, like... Mine was like I couldn't control where I was falling asleep, though. Oh, yeah, no, I that's had, happened I to felt, me a couple times. But it was like I, I was totally fine until there was one point where I got up to go to the toilet, and then my brain was like, my brain rationally was like, <laughs> the switch has flipped. You know what's gonna go now, down, boy. And then all of a sudden, like all motor function just disappeared, and I was like. <laughs> And and then I was uh, I was I went outside of the bar we were at and I fell asleep in <laughs> the not so most comfortable of positions, which angered the other bar owner across the across the hall because you know Japanese buildings tend to have like multiple bars in the same building, and uh, he was uh, shouting at me in Japanese, and, and then people had to like check out what was happening, and <laughs> they found me <laughs> kind mm. of propped up against the wall. Um, this is not seven minutes of that. Why are we? Why are we doing this? <laughs> I, wanna, I was I was all ready to talk about like what game something tonight. That's the problem. Like this week, I've been a very very busy boy. I I have only been able to play like I don't know four hours total of games this whole week. It's it's How? it's. Why do I have to carry you guys every week? No, no, no. I, 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 <laughs> I came having something to talk about. Like, I came here and we just spent seven minutes talking about why okay. at 29 years old I need to grow the fuck up. All right, Liam. So, what, what have you played? Well, <laughs> guys, I was... Because I'm pretty sure George played Ass Creek. Well, I technically also did only play Final Fantasy XIV for all of the week. And I'm loving the shit out of it. It's great. Holla to everybody who likes that game. (laughs) Um, You sound like me. I know. I know. But I'm going to sound like you even more right now. Oh, okay. Well, I'm strapped in. Because I just got back from my second ever... Dungeons and Dragons session. Oh yeah, baby. Oh, okay, good. This will be good fodder. Did did you follow my advice and get your character done ahead of time? Uh, like, pretty much. Like, 
so I'm doing it with a couple of people here in Kyoto, a couple of game people here, um, and everybody like is kind of apart from maybe one person is kind of like inexperienced. Like some people haven't played in a, a long time and they haven't played fifth edition. Um, but myself and one other person, I've played once before, like eight years ago when I was at Rockstar, but I don't remember anything about it. So it was basically starting fresh with information I've only gleamed from Matt and the internet itself. Uh, and this other guy who's not played. So we were kind of going to make characters together during the first session, which happened like two weeks ago or last week. Um, but we ended up just getting so enthusiastic about it that we all kind of made up characters before we went, like character names, backstories, like yeah. the class, the race, and all this kind of stuff. And then the only thing we needed to do was basically oh, you roll ability it. scores, yeah. like okay. roll the ability scores, write down the equipment we had, and uh, we had a like a good hour chatting about like the DMs sort of world and what what the setup was and all this kind of thing and how we all came together and fitted into it. So the first session was kind of a mix of that, but today the second session which happened literally tonight, right today, uh, was like our first proper session. And it was awesome. Hell yeah. yeah it was so, so fun. So so it wasn't like like two hours of doing your tax forms to just to get started, I'm, I'm presuming? No, it was like straight in today because yeah. we had all the characters, we had the setup, we got to like a, a, a point last time that was like the DM was like, tickling like our interest about like the forecomings of what was going to happen and we had like a, a a goal to achieve this time and um you know we had to go through certain ways to achieve that goal and uh it was oh it was so good it was uh, it, oh, i get it yeah like last week we had my first experiences with vr like a little baby and now we're having like like the running segment of Liam's firsts. Mm. I wish I wish I could feel that 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 sensation of the first. Such a good feeling. Until yeah, no, <laughs> right. Until Oasis, until like Sword Art Online, D and D is probably the best RPG experience you can have. You have to do it with friends and stuff, but it's yeah, it's the it's best like, RPG you, you can have. It's like a it's set so... story with. That dynamically changes depending on your DM. Yeah, it's so strange. Like our DM is my good friend Josiah, who uh, works at Nintendo here in in Kyoto, and he offered to DM because uh, there were a couple of people who wanted to DM, but they've never really done it before, so it'd be their first time. And because there was a couple of inexperienced people, we kind of decided that it'd be cool if somebody who's done it before kind of would give it a go. And he'd said that he'd been interested for a while, but he kind of wanted to be a player. But then he was like, no, don't worry. I've never done 5th edition uh, DMing, so I, but I'll give it a go. It's fine. Immediately, he purchased, like, the monster manual, the DM <laughs> guide, the player manual, and, like, he just went away for, like, two weeks. We came back on the day we decided, and he was like, okay. And I wasn't really... I didn't know what to expect, but he, like, nailed it. The way he, like, was telling the story. He was, like, controlling the group and, like, letting us, like, know little details and dealing with, like, us being rough in the beginning and getting better. Like, I guess it is, as you said, like, down to the DM a lot. And I think a lot of people who are listening to this right now who have way more D&D experience probably saying the same. But, yeah, it is about, like, the group you're doing it with and the DM. And I feel like we've got a hella good one. And this story that Josiah set up, because we're not doing, like, a 
pre-written campaign, like one of the wizards, the Wokta, like, books, like their adventures. He's made all this campaign by himself kind of thing. And it's so enticing and intriguing. Yeah. Ah, it's so fun. The reason why me and I would say, I don't want to talk for everybody, but many others, because I'm, I'm still like a, a noob at D&D. Um, the reason why we say that is because... If you when you have a bad DM, because I've had a bad DM, when you have a bad DM, you will know, you will know exactly what I mean. It's it's drastically different, and and having a bad player is not as bad because if the rest of the group is fine, then they tend to just like laugh at the other player, not not in a bad way, but just kind of play off the other player and still have a good time. But when you have a bad DM that's your story that's your gameplay yeah it's, it's like the <laughs> yeah. gameplay being bad so yeah like we had to we had to like set a few like rules because like the first time we were kind of like talking all over each other one person was kind of like in fairness they were like role-playing their character which was like a half-orc barbarian that thinks it's a human bard so they were kind of like shouting over people or interrupting conversations and stuff and it was kind of like it was fun and stuff but we we all understood that it needed a little of like polishing so like <laughs> this time josiah rdm was kind of like hey look we're gonna do this let's try and keep it a bit more like structured and like we'll have like if you really need to interject like let's make it like a dramatic moment so you only have like two abilities to interject dramatically during a session kind of thing mm -hmm. so it gives it like the feeling that you kind of have to wait to interject on a very serious moment or something and it was like we had all this and it just worked so well it was so much fun i i've been i'm just so happy that like one of those things, you know, when you've always like expected something, like you, you've always known that you'd be interested in something, but you've never had a chance to do it. And you've always wondered whether it would live up to the hype in your head of how like good it, you expect it to be because you see everybody else enjoying it. Yeah, that was yeah. D&D &D for me. Like I always looked at everybody else and was like, is this really as fun as like everybody's making it out to be? And I got into like a YouTube hole about it. And then obviously Matt was talking about it last year and some uh, parts of this year. And I am so happy to be like, shit, we did it. And like, I'm now even more excited and enthusiastic about it. It's so good. One thing that D and D keeps reminding me of during the rare opportunities in my life where I do get to play it is just how much there is to gamify that isn't combat because uh you you roll the dice and crunch the numbers for a lot of stuff in a DD campaign that's not just killing monsters to the death and it it really bums me out how video games don't do that we haven't fought anything yeah some video games do but people don't like it <sighs> People don't like it. I don't. I don't like it in video games. To be honest, I like action in, in video games. That's the thing. It does. It does make me think, though, because we've had, you know, we've had two sessions so far, and even like our DM has talked about it, like what we expect out of it. And he's kind of been trying to build his world around what we kind of expect or want to do. But so far, we've had no combat encounters. It's all been like investigations and talking and like moving from place to place and trying to explore. Mm -hmm. And like, it's completely. It's completely engaging anyway. And I'm like, this is super intriguing. Like, I haven't even thought about the fact that I am playing a Dragonborn fighter where all my skills 
are hilariously in strength and constitution and stuff like that. And I've not done anything with that other than open a door. <laughs> and that felt amazing. With the human DM there, you, you can have this this element of, of improvisational storytelling that a computer is just unable to match. And I hope someday that, that, that a company is able to achieve the dream that like Interplay was setting up to do with Baldur's Gate of having the computer be the DM, but actually uh, 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 compel and, and improvise you along the way of all those non-combat encounters instead. I feel like that's already possible. From what I see AI do, I mean, AI can create songs now, write, write posts. <laughs> like Some of it is trash, but some of it is pretty, pretty scary that a, a AI created it. You just feed it information and it just spits out something. So if you feed it this stuff, I mean, like the the mod I was playing for um for Final Fantasy Nine was AI based. Yeah, I'm I'm retweeting all these uh, AI generated Garfield panels. They're great. <laughs> oh my god! I want to clarify something about the D the DD uh, Dungeon Masters. Sorry, <laughs> it's like the double D's. The double D and D um the the DMs. All right. Like, I'm not talking about new DMs trying to learn how to DM and they're trying out on people. I'm not talking that those are not bad DMs. I'm talking about specific DMs who are just dicks. <laughs> those are the ones I'm talking about. I just want to clarify that because I want people to think like, oh, if you're new to DM, like everything has to be perfect. No, sometimes new DMs are pretty fun and I've had it. So, yeah, it's just, that's definitely a need to clarify that. All right. All right. What have you been? All right. Should I, should I start on the game I've been playing? Carry us. Carry us. Okay. All right. I I did play a new game, but I did play Final Fantasy IX. Have you done it before? No. I would say I played the beginning of Final Fantasy IX a couple of times when I was young, but I never really went full on like I did uh, seven, I would say. I've gotten farther in seven. These games are long, and as a kid, you know, you're, you're doing different stuff. <laughs> I never <laughs> sat inside. I was outside a, a few, even though I was pretty big in the high school. Um, but yeah, like uh, this game with the uh, Maguri mod, Maguri mod, that is how you say it, right? Maguri? Like like a Harry Potter muggle <laughs> Wait, sort say, of? Say, say this again. Say this again. Maguri huh? mod. Marjorie? <laughs> I feel Marjorie? like it, I feel like it's a Japanese thing and I'm not saying it right. That's that's my, what that's what it my, feels. My Gurry. I'm saying it like Oh, my Gurry. Anyway, can, can you can you write it out like Yeah, M O M O G U R I. Maguri. Moguri. Moguri. M O G U R I. <laughs> We're not stopping to fight. I am me? Moguri. Yeah, it's more. Okay, so I'm saying it right. Okay. Moguri mod. Like, Moguri. I'm saying it like very, I don't know, American. But uh, that mod, it, it makes it. Uh, I'll send you the uh, the mm. actual link here. It, it makes it look modern, I guess. Uh, you know, kind of like an indie game. It has a kind of a painterly feel to it, like mm -hmm. like black outlines. It's uh, oil painty looking. 
and you could do you know um, a suite FX to it. Um, it. It makes it widescreen, which I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, do. I won't do the widescreen because you can see the characters go off screen sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and you can see who's going to come into the scene, and I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that at all. <laughs> so you don't want that in a tense moment. Um, but yeah, I just doing that and having this the regular uh, aspect ratio. It's great. Um, everything looks great. The menus look great because um, all that's updated. It doesn't look pixelated. Um, and I think they, they updated already for PC and then he put his mod out that made everything even better after that um, because the PC port was just like a, a whatever port. Um, this this game is good. I got to say throughout the most throughout the whole thing, it's pretty good. And I didn't it's I wouldn't say it didn't. Um, I don't think it was like heart pounding as a first disc of Final Fantasy 7, but Final Fantasy 9 is more consistent. Yeah. You know, and it got a little Japanesey at the end where they didn't know like it's, it's like they don't know how to finish, you know? It's just like um it, we're doing this because of this and it didn't really explain it well. The execution, it could be it could be translation, but yeah, that that's like the only I would say the only bad part. Everything else is actually pretty pretty decent. Even like the bad guy and why he wants to do a certain thing was actually pretty cool. I was like, okay, okay, I'm down with it. I don't like his design, but you know, I'm down with you know him going a little crazy here. Um, it's it's dope. It's it's a it's a dope story. It kept me intrigued the whole way, and I like the gameplay actually. I didn't think I would like the gameplay. It's it has a bloodstained gameplay where you have equipment that you learn um, abilities from, and then you can equip those abilities based on how many magic stones you have. And um, it's dope. It's fun because uh, you could equip like you know auto haste and and auto regen, and, and you're like basically a god. <laughs> <laughs> so did you did you get all the way to the end? Yeah, yeah, I finished it. <gasps> so okay, I guess. Dude, you're a machine these days. Holy shit! Well, I I started I started before last week. FF9 was always always my favorite of the of the PlayStation ones, and there is a line during that ending cutscene that is just fantastic. That uh, I guess we should definitely spoil it. You mean the ending ending like af after? After our airship leaves, I I think one? so. I remember because that this one's being, cool. That was being cool a kind of theatrical. You'll yeah. definitely know the line I'm talking about. And if you haven't gotten to the end of FF9, it is a really it's something I don't want to spoil. If if you're if you're trying to figure out um, if it's if you should skip the section, I would say FF9 with that mod. It this game doesn't need to be remade. It's fine the way it is, and it's a good play. I would say. Spoiler warning. Concerned listeners, please jump to 24 minutes and 45 seconds. It has energy and life and humor to it. And do you remember that line at the end where a character actually says that the future is looking bright and no clouds or squalls are going to hold them back? (laughs) That line is such a like. It's this this great fourth wall break that that totally completely acknowledges what 
what was the primary complaint at the time, which was like classic, oh, these Japanese protagonists are too whiny for, for my Western sensibilities. And and they're just like completely rolling with the punch and deciding to to make games that had a little more more brightness and color and energy to them. And and that I thought was like a hilarious, wonderful way to to send <laughs> off that that hilarious, wonderful game. Yeah, it, it, it was more bright. Um, It didn't have like that dark atmosphere that FF7 and not only applying to FF7 because I just played it recently. Um, FF7 was dark and oh, I'm cloud. Yeah, that type of <laughs> <laughs> that type of that thing. That infamous speech bubble that just says whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and there's a lot of things in this game that wouldn't translate well. I would say if they were to remake it, and and the only thing, the only thing is the cutscenes that look weird. That's it. That's the only thing. That's when the character designs look kind of bubbly. Um, but other than that, it looks great and it plays great and it, it's something fascinating about playing was it like a 30 hour story and and have it be consistent and oh, have like the have characters develop over 30 hours and then have an, a pretty satisfying ending and it's it's something wonderful about that it is something i missed you know a long story because we don't have that over here not done well anyway um because it's you know it's packed with like filler stuff and optional quests it's like a formula over here um over you know this is old school of course i'm applying old school to new school but yeah like old japanese rpgs um it's nice it was cool i enjoyed it FF9 also has my favorite music of the games in the series I've played too. Do you remember this track called You're Not Alone? Where oh, we're when he's dun, like, dun, yeah. dun 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 It's, it's on goosebumps. a certain scene. A very uh, dramatic yeah. scene. FF9 also has my favorite side character too, the mouse girl. My, oh, oh, I, I, I thought of her as a, a rat. But uh, yeah, M mouse, rat. Because mouses are close, bubbly. She's more thin. They're all thin. More Freya. rat, ratty. Freya's whole uh, side story chapter just just had me had me zoomed straight into the screen at the edge of the seat as a kid. I loved that part of the game. I love Vivi. Just love yeah, him. he's oh that that poor boy. He's the best part for sure. I yeah. I'm not. I'm not like the biggest Final Fantasy IX fan, but VB is cool. Really? What what do you didn't like about it? Um, mostly Zidane. <laughs> huh. I don't like Zidane as a character. I don't like Zidane's design. Um not really the biggest fan of the transition of like how kind of comedic that FF9 can be and kind of lighthearted yet this kind of like Finding yourself, sort of redemption arc for Zidane, is uh, yeah, just it mostly centers around Zidane as a character, but I like aesthetically, I like FF Nine quite a lot. But if we're gonna talk FF, come on, just fourteen, man, give it to me, baby. Oh my god. Oh uh, my. Okay. God. Okay. All right. Um. <laughs> enough with the old. In with the new. I played Outer Wilds. 
Hell yeah! Um, <gasps> oh shit, you're not. We're, we're not supposed to go into that. Finally, yet, though, right? Not. Might be. Might be messing me up for when I get around to it. Yeah. There. Yeah. There. This. You should go into this game fresh. Is what I'm gonna say. You should go into this game fresh. That's the way okay. I did it. And it's great <laughs> when how, you do it how, that how way. How do you guys feel about this? Because I am down to like like take my my headphones off for a few minutes while you guys like send in text an update that I should come back. If if Wait, you want to talk I've to Liam, I've never about played it. this game, and I am intrigued. Oh, no, I just want to know. I just want to know like if it's good. How how heavy you're gonna be here, Matt? <laughs> no 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 no. I I don't want to spoil it for people listening. Um, what should I say? I should say that this game is smart like um the way they designed certain things um like there's mm, okay yeah i can't i can't i can't say much but <laughs> i would say the game is solid they thought about a lot of things when they were designing the game and how it works um and like they pause when you're reading at certain screens is what i'm going to say for people who played it so you know you're not getting like oh you're not saying anything like there's certain th things like that that's all over the game. They thought about this game. They they it's clean, I would say. It's clean and exploring, discovering. It's, it's, wow. I, it's it's a, at times it's a little terrifying. A little bit like uh someone came behind me when I was playing and it, it freaked me out because of the music there's, there's and like yeah, horror it's, to it. No. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you will have to find out. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Is it one of the best games you played this year, like everybody's saying? Um, I played something good this year. It's definitely not Kingdom Hearts 3. That's that's at the bottom of the poll there. Um, I don't know if it's the best game I've played. I would have to finish it. I, the thing is, I don't judge a game until I finish it. Like, if you can't finish your game properly, I'm sorry. <laughs> i'm sorry that's that my my ending like feelings of your game is going to be like mm, i don't know if i like this very much it, you have to finish properly it's just like shows finish your show properly i know it's hard i know i'm not i'm saying bullshit right now like it's hard to finish stuff properly but money or whatever yeah but i i have to have the complete experience it's just like i wouldn't review a game unless i finish it finish it sometimes i played a little bit more than after i finished it to, to make sure certain parts were good um yeah but yeah i'm not gonna say anything until i finish it but it's good it's not bad at, at all um it but it's a very specific game and it may not be for everyone let me just throw that out there i don't want to endorse it and then you don't like it it's a very specific type of game. So if you look at the gameplay and you're not really intrigued by it, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know if you should take the plunge. Yeah. That's 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 um that's it. That's that's out of out of wilds. It's it's good. I'm I'm glad I found it. I'm glad I gave it a try. It's it's on my list when it uh Yeah, you were talking it shows about up it. on a different store. I'm I'm hopping on that. <laughs> you were hitting you were hitting us up like in the disco chat. You were like, Is anybody playing this game? Like I feel mm -hmm. like one of us should it's, be playing this game. It's Cause, single cause player. The too. reviews. Reviews were real freaking good. And and I was like, Oh, should I request some codes or, or buy some? Uh so Liam, did you have a game for this week? No, like honest to God, I am just playing Final Fantasy fourteen like every minute I get. 
He's <laughs> because it up. Just like last I, year. I'm so close to Path of the Exile end of and D and D. No, like <laughs> I'm just copying Matt this year. Like Matt has overtook overtook me. Matt's playing the new games. I'm playing the old games. But I'm just trying to get to Shadowbringers. Like I'm so close to the end of a Realm Reborn. Like oh, so God. close. Gotta tell me. I'm like, gotta tell me. As soon as you hit it, there's gonna be a scene, and you're gonna be like, "Yeah, this is the scene Matt's talking about." It's so, so like, I I am I am at the level. Is it like the level forty one to fifty quests or something now? I, I shoot. I don't know, man. I was just I was just <laughs> doing the quests, man. Those things are endless. Like, but I I have like I have uh, like a tab open all the time of like the main scenario quest list, and I'm just like, okay. I'm getting closer and closer. I'm like a level 45 black mage now. I'm like, I'm five levels away from fucking being able to be a fucking samurai. I'm like so close. You can survive as a black mage? I'm surprised. Are you over leveled? Some of those, some of those uh, instances are, are not too easy, let me say. No, there was actually, fun, the, today, today was the first time where I found, like, I think it's the black mage, like, level 45 quest or whatever. It was like... A duty where I had to keep killing all these beasts that, that spawned from voids and stuff. It was the first time I actually really struggled to do it. Hmm. But no, I'm yeah, I, I get a little player comment recommend commendations, whatever they're called <laughs> for doing stuff, so I must be doing an okay job. I don't really know. <laughs> I I'm look, hoping look I'm the rotation online, studies the rotation, does the rotation, wins. Ah, uh, you see, I just, I just made my own rotation. Put thunder on them, spam fire, change astral, get MP back, switch back to fire. It's good shit. Yeah. It's a great game. I really like it. I really like it. It's such a great game. You'll like Samurai. Samurai's fun. Yes, I'm only like a, l- a little like bit more levels actiony. I'm so close. I could, and everybody's on foam Shadowbringers, and all the reviews have come out saying it's like the best MMO expansion of all time. I'm like, I just want to get Jesus there, but I'm Christ. determined to experience the story. Man, I don't understand. I don't understand. How's Final Fantasy 14? It's got great. like 16 million players now. It's 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 Jeez. like double wow. It's I, I, wow. I don't get it. I seriously do not get it. That now I, I understand like. Because you have to go through all the story. I think that's some the of thing, it's right? kind of, there's no way that 16 million people enjoy that story. I think a Realm Reborn is like from everything I've read. Obviously, I have only played a Realm Reborn, so I'm experiencing. Okay, yeah, maybe, yeah. but like I'm like I'm. It's not like I'm overly enjoying the story of a Realm Reborn, but the tidbits about like the primals and like the scions and all this kind of stuff is like I I enjoy that. And when like a big moment happens. I, it's like the payoff feels great because I've spent all this time playing and that kind of... I don't get that often because I don't really pay attention to stories in games very frequently. Obviously, we all know I play games for the gameplay most of the time. But with this, it's like I get those tidbits and it's great. If you play for the gameplay, then you're going to really love the dungeons and the raids. You're going to yeah. really love it. Those are good. I really good. like, like, every time I sign up, I, like, sign on, I immediately go to, like, the duty roulette. I sign up for, like, whatever roulette is happening right now, and I'll just then go and do the quests, and uh, then I'll do the dungeons immediately. And I always look for the latest dungeons that I can unlock if it's a side quest or something because I don't want to miss out. And there have been some that are so good. Like, I obviously, I'm talking from a Realm Reborn stuff, so there must be even better stuff coming later, but... 
I don't know, man. I just, I just really like this game. I don't think I'm actually going to play another game until Fire Emblem comes out at the end of this month. So I'm going to keep keep plugging on. Yeah, play whatever you enjoy, man. It's, it's fun really, just diving really... in and not spending money. <laughs> With Matt carrying me this, this month, this year, I, I'm good. Yeah, my back's hurting, guys. I really hope I can I can finish up one of of these single player games I've been working on the 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 never ending duo one. of Sekiro and one. Asses. You playing three? Play one. What are you doing? You're not gonna have an. I'm getting old. You're not gonna have an idea of how you know who's Dante and and who's the guy from Sekiro. I don't even know who the guy from Sekiro is. <laughs> Wolf. His name is just Wolf. 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 Like oh, there's oh, you're gonna mix up Nero and Wolf out, oh, man. They both have arms that are missing. Uh, and I've also been watching my way through Evangelion, and I, oh, I, I guess Liam's the one I'd talk to with that, because you seemed to know more. But I, I don't think you specified if you've made it all the way through, Liam. FF14, baby. Of of Evangelion. <laughs> no, I'm I'm like watching one episode like every night, just getting back oh. in. I'm like. I'm like episode 15 now. Ah, you're kind of sort of where I am then. There's a lot I forgot about this series. <laughs> episode 14 yeah. is is when it starts getting weird. And sure enough, just as I suspected, now that it's getting weird, I'm really getting into it. Like, uh, there's there's some... some I, I, I might want to save this for next week too, which, which also attests to what a, <laughs> a short episode this is probably going to be. But, um... I, I I do think I'm getting it. There's there's a, a wonderful arc that that begins at that episode that uh, I I am genuinely invested in now. Like I I've I've been busy. I, I have like two hours or so to to actually chill out at the end of every day, and and I've been genuinely enjoying watching an episode of Eva during that time every night, and I. Really, truly, cannot wait to hit the next one up and and see how this movie's gonna go too. I I think I'm getting it, but to to keep from spoiling you, I I, I think I want to save that one for next week. I'm gonna keep watching. I I have some time over the weekend, so I'm gonna maybe try and power through some episodes, get towards the end. Like, yeah, you sound you I, sound like I mean, you just I, I already know what happens. You sound like I've you're not it. gonna do it. You sound like you're just gonna play Final Fantasy 14. Yeah, I'll just power through some episodes. I'm definitely. Definitely, definitely prioritizing like that. <laughs> well, powering through episodes, I think, is like my big issue with all these these anime series, even the short ones. Like, it takes so long for for them to get going sometimes, and I'm wondering why why is that such a thing? Like, uh, FLCL comes and goes in eight episodes and doesn't waste any of your time. And even Evangelion, which is like the the, 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 the king of anime, still has you powering through like 10 to 12 episodes before it really starts getting into the, the, the weird nitty gritty of, of the, the crazy psychosocial, psychosocial themes it, it starts tackling here at this part we're at. And until then, it's giant robot battles with sad kids, which is fine, which is fun. It, but it's still, I, I wish it would get to the point faster. I, I gotta, I gotta watch it. I guess it's worth watching. <laughs> there, are, there, are, there are times when I look through it. Uh, when I watch it, I, I'm like, yeah, I remember some of the points this is trying to hit home with. I, I am disappointed to report that I don't really want to dive deep onto any game or, or 
anime I've been watching this week because I don't got much to say, unfortunately. No, it's hard to find good games, man. I scream in the <laughs> in the chat all the time. I just like, is there anything good out right now? No, I I know they're out there. It's it's finding the time and now the energy too, because because I'm I'm hitting the video mine hard. But at the end of every day, after looking at a screen for, for 10 to 12 hours, my eyes are just burnt out. My brain is like kind of mushy. And I, and I didn't realize that, that at this age, video games would be mentally exhaust or not exhausting, like more mentally tiring than they used to be. I got to um, I got to look at your list and make and, and find something that you have because you haven't played anything, anything good. So. What the games I'm playing yeah, yeah, are okay. good. Uh, They're... And 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 try to figure out what what's like something short I can like toss to you. That's why I was so hyped for Outer Wilds too. I, yeah, I gotta see how short it is. I mean, I only play. Yeah, I mean, it could be. It could be short. It depends mm. on how you. And yeah. and the weekend, the, the cadence weekend. That was a damn fun weekend too. I'm still playing the fucking Wargroove campaign. I was playing it on the treadmill this morning. When am I gonna finish Wargroove? I don't want to move on to stuff until I beat stuff. And maybe that's my problem, really. When did I start playing Wargroove? Like November. It was when that hurricane yeah. was was going through Cartersville. Anyway, playing that game a little. <laughs> Wargroove, dude. Anyways, uh, yeah, I, I guess, I guess that's, that's that, us. That's, that's it. That's, 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 that's our slow week. We, we got some news to talk about af, af, after the break, but even then it's, uh, <laughs> stuff I expect to, to, to walk us through pretty quick. We got, I think, I think the listener questions are going to be the most interesting segment this week, which is, which is different from the usual. It's going to be fun though. I promise. <laughs> Tiger puts arcade action in the palm of your hand. Games like Batman. Choose your weapons in this four-level game of action as you jump from rooftop to rooftop trying to get through six vicious henchmen to get the Joker. But can you defeat him to win? Also available, Tiger's Batman Risk Game for the time of your life. Welcome back to the Dead and Sons podcast, bringing you everybody's favorite part of the show, the news. George, what's cooking in the George news desk? And literally, a picture you sent to us earlier today could not be more appropriate for this. <laughs> what's cooking uh, on the George news desk? I, I thought we could get some interesting talk out of the Nintendo Switch Lite being revealed yesterday. This was a surprise announcement, almost. They they waited a couple weeks after E3 for this one, which was interesting. It, like, the worst kept secret in the industry <laughs> yeah every, everyone knew everybody knew that this was coming <laughs> i remember getting one like like quote unquote white hat hacker who sent me a list of, of projects they thought they found on nintendo servers and sure enough on the list was new pokemon game new switch hardware revision all of which though still falls in line with nintendo's usual generational strategies um, but yeah, we, we're getting a new version of the Nintendo Switch. It is called the Nintendo Switch Lite, which means they missed a terrible, terrible opportunity to call it the Lite Switch. Eh, 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 <laughs> Anyways, um, it's a smaller version. <laughs> it's a smaller version of the Switch that cannot be docked, nor does it have removable Joy-Cons on either side. 
but uh, it uses a, a real D-pad on the left side, which is interesting. That's something you're not going to get with the real normal vanilla version of the Switch. Um, you're going to have the same 720p resolution, despite its smaller size. There's also no kickstand either, which makes sense because that's for Joy-Cons being removed. Uh, no HD rumble nor IR sensors, which again kind of makes sense if you keep in mind that you can't take the Joy-Cons off. But it still has motion controls and can connect wirelessly with other detached Joy-Cons. It's going to be launching on September 20th with a... Remind me if this is actually cheaper than the regular Switch or not. It's uh, 200 bucks. It is cheaper. Okay, good, because it, it honestly should be. <laughs> this highlights one of... Yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, go ahead. So read the news story first. I'm about finished, I think, of like the cold hard facts here before we start sharing our opinions. The only one other thing I want to throw in is that they are also starting to update the hardware for the Switch itself. The Switch is going to be getting a new CPU and flash storage medium. Details on that are very mum, and they mostly come from updates to their F, uh, FCC filings. And uh, that's not necessarily a real announcement, but I guess folds into whatever plans they have for a potential Switch Pro in the future as well. But yeah, yeah, I guess I guess now's the time to share our opinions on this and, and, and what we think. You know, I got your light switch joke a little bit too late. Oh. So I'm going to laugh now. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, that's a good joke, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't, It's weird. It's, a, it's big, right? That looks big to me. It looks still big. Okay. So I think this thing is pointless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and it's yeah. not. And before people scream at me, like I, I a hundred percent know who it's for. It's for kids and people who want to play it portably. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. It's it's a cheaper version for the kids, and it's cheaper. But the reality is, it's not actually that much cheaper in the country it's specifically made for. It's mainly focused at Japanese people because. Nobody is carrying a Switch with them around in this country, in Japan. I saw a dude playing an original DS on the train yesterday. It was like, it was uplifting how emotional Wait, from, that Wait, from 2004? Yeah, the, the original, original gray block. Gray, wow. Yeah. Wow. He was playing well. Dragon Quest on his, he was playing like, I can't remember nice. which Dragon Quest, the one of the ones so I deployed to the DS. So you've seen more of that. I've seen more, I've Switch. literally seen, I have seen more PSPs, wow. more 3DSs and original DSs than I have seen Switches. The Vita doesn't exist, even though the Vita was really popular for a while. But the reality is, in second-hand shops here in Japan, you can buy a brand, like a, obviously in Japan, there everybody for the most part, takes care of their thing. So when you buy things secondhand, there tends to be no issues with it. It seems like new. I bought my PS4 like four years ago here in Japan, secondhand, then it, I forget I even did that. But the fact is you can buy one for like $220. Like you are losing, if you buy the Switch Lite, you are, you are essentially saving $100 retail price. But you are losing... Joy-Cons. Those, those hundred bucks buy you a lot of features that this thing's not going to have. It's it's the 2D all over again. Big Aki. You're losing the HD yeah. rumble, which now, because of this thing, will die. Because no developers are going to use the HD rumble support anymore. Because why? Like, Cadence of Hyrule won't work on a, a Switch Lite. Because it doesn't have the HD rumble for the Lost Woods. 
So what I, I I feel especially I feel especially bad that the kids are gonna miss out on how cool it is to detach the Joy Cons yeah. in the first place. One of the and things that is, sound. is that, that satisfying sound. Yeah, that, great... that they use the commercials. The like now it's gonna be like a sound. It's I think, gonna be like uh, a dropping sound. GameSpot's uh, article has the subtitle underneath the headline: "If a switch can't switch, is it really even a switch?" Like it's the like a pedantic society in regards to that. I understand this is meant to be like the 2DS to the 3DS, yeah, right? Yeah, big, and big thing, it yeah. is fine, but it is just not that much smaller. It has like an extra hour of battery life. It does not connect to a TV. It. What's the point? <laughs> can't play some games, of course. The single most important feature to me about the Switch is those removable Joy-Cons. Yes. That has completely changed the way I think of playing games. I play games while exercising now. I play games while, like, cuddling on the couch, while, while splaying myself across the couch if I'm not cuddling. I can play games in all sorts of weird ways that were impossible before, and that features not there here and, and that's it's another controller so like weird. anyone could just drop in like, oh, oh you yeah, want to yeah. play here's a controller so like that easy it's it also Come seems on. super important to me especially if they're going to be marketing this for kids to make it compatible with the labo kits which are for late late no lab i said it right i said it right you did <laughs> yeah no like how is it how disappointed is a kid gonna be when they're like mom mom i need a nintendo switch so i can i can have this 40 dollars vr goggle set so i can have a cool vr set like all the rich kids and then they f they're gonna find out that they can't do that because their mom got them the cheaper version of the switch of the light switch i'm just gonna call it a light switch because nintendo won't the cowards and yeah that's heartbreaking to imagine it's like it's like opening up a, a box on on Christmas, and, and instead of a, a video game console that you asked for, it's uh, it's, it's like a two hundred and one plug and play Atari TV box, and all the games are just like different arrangements of of the single one pixel on the screen. That yeah, I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Can you imagine a kid saying he wants a Switch for Christmas or his birthday, and then he gets a Switch Lite? Like, no, mom, I wanted the regular Switch. I wanted the regular Switch, mom. Like, I could see that happening. I could see it happening, dude. It's. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be. Because he goes in, you know, the mom gets the cheaper one. Why not? You know, he gets an extra game, but I got you an extra. <laughs> this is going to be a minefield for, for parents. If. Yeah, because it's only kids who are probably going to end up with this thing. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people <sighs> I've seen, like, it was definitely two sides of the coin. There was no, like, in-between with this. People were either like, what's the point? Or there was like, why are you complaining? You don't have to buy it. There's already the Switch. If people want it, they can have it. Which I totally agree with. But at the same time, like, it could have been done better, maybe? Like, it loses a lot in comparison to forking out, like, a little bit of extra money. And it is not that much smaller. Like, I don't care what anybody says, the Switch is definitely portable. Like, for sure. Like, the 3DS was, like, a thing you unfolded. Like, it looked like you were playing a games console when you had it, right? I don't, I don't know why people complained about that. But you just, like, if you want to play portable, 
Have com- some courage. Just buy the Switch, right? Like, Be brave. Whip your Switch out in public. If anyone judges you, that's their problem. Give yourself the option of being able to play on the TV if you want. I'm sorry. Don't buy it. <laughs> don't buy it, man. It's a waste of money. <laughs> don't waste your money on that. I guess I guess our our, our pieces have been stated. Shall shall we move on? It, it, it unless it has like a protective screen, like just built in for the kids to drop it. Then yeah, you might want to consider yeah, your yeah. little klutz. You know, because the Switch it does feel a little more fragile than the usual oh, Nintendonium uh, material they they typically wedge their hardware out of. The Switch you can like hear some rattle if you shake it. <sighs> yeah, don't like that. The Switch feels like Nintendo's, but to me anyway, the Nintendo, the Switch feels like Nintendo's first piece of like designer tech. You know, when you have it in your hands, it's got like the perfect weight. It has like a sleek design to it. Like to me, it feels like when I hold, I don't know, like an iPad. Like it feels like I'm holding a piece of technology. Yeah. When I held the 3DS, like and I don't get me wrong, I fucking love the 3DS, but it always felt like I was holding a toy, right, or like a games console. The Vita always felt like I was holding a piece of technology and it felt nice and it had a good weight and it was sleek and black and looked great. Obviously, game-wise, didn't do anywhere near as well, but the Switch is like the best of both worlds. I feel like I have this awesome piece of technology in my hands and also there's great games on it. Whereas the Switch Lite, eh, it looks kind of like the 2DS again. But yeah, we'll see. Leave it to Nintendo to kind of confuse us about about what exactly their intention was here. They're they're at least still good at that. Uh, it's a little little reassuring, a little nostalgic a bit. Anyways, uh, yeah. Next uh, story I wanted to tackle is uh, coming out of anonymous sources. The theinformation.com has two sources deep in the bowels of Oculus who are uh, claiming that Facebook has acquired some sort of exclusivity deal to publish Splinter Cell and Assassin's Creed VR games exclusively for the Oculus. And uh, 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 reactions are not kind to it. I'm wondering, though, if I'm if I'm going to be the devil's advocate for this story a bit. But uh, let's well, see because here. Because it's Facebook? Well, uh, yeah, because I think of the exclusivity. Facebook has already signed deals for exclusive VR versions of the popular games Assassin's Creed and Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell, one of the people said. The size of the investment is also expected to be relatively small, less than $1 billion, although it could grow beyond that figure. Which, I guess, kind of reminds us of how big Facebook's budget actually is. Holy shit, if less than $1 billion is relatively small, then... Wow... It's like when you uh, see those those picture comparisons of how big the sun is compared to planet Earth, and you're just like, okay, I know where my place is now. <laughs> oh, right. <sighs> A little blip. So, yeah, uh, reactions to this have been negative, I believe, primarily so because of um, the thought of those games being exclusive to the Oculus Store. Because you can play Oculus games across different VR platforms on PC. So, so far as I know, I haven't done it myself, but I've read guides on how the uh, Windows Mixed Reality sets and the Vive 
can use some compatibility layers in your software setup to play Oculus games and how Vive, I think, can play Oculus games fine just right out of the box. The problem is you need to make an account tied to this store and that sort of gambles away the, the game's digital future availability on how well the, the Oculus store does in the future. I, I also want to point out that, that the Splinter Cell franchise hasn't really seen a mainline installment in a while do fantastically great uh blacklist i think reviewed well but didn't sell super well so it would make sense at this point to start experimenting one of my favorite xbox 360 like memories is playing was it conviction uh yeah yeah that was the one that had the the auto tag system i really liked that game parkour and whatnot i enjoyed the shit out of that game as long as there's no ads and the games are good i don't I don't know if I care very much. I why why should yeah. I care that it's Facebook? Facebook, I, Facebook and Oculus. I have an Oculus, and they they do the store okay. Like, I I also they make have some more, good upgrades to the home. Oh my god! More faith these yeah. days that exclusivity deals, especially ones with third party AAA publishers like Ubisoft, don't last long. You generally see them move to other platforms after. After a year or a, or a couple years these days, like like Sony is, I think the the Sony and Nintendo are the, are the two last bastions of like holding on to to first party exclusive publishers. Yeah, I was gonna say like I think this is oh. more to do with the fact that it's Facebook than anything because I don't see anybody complaining about like Blood and Truth and Astrobot and stuff like that being exclusives to the PlayStation VR. So yeah, oh, man, I, I, if they made a the PC version of Astrobot, it would do really well, I feel. But yeah, it's never gonna happen. Is... One... I'm not, I'm not sure if Revive still works, but you can get Oculus exclusives to play on your Vive. This also, I think, brings to light that a lot of people assume that VR games are gonna be like stand in one spot and slap things around sort of experiences. When I think of VR games, I think of a lot of traditional third-person action games like Assassin's Creed and Splinter Cell. Just with the VR headset on, and I wish, I wish the popularity of optional VR modes like that had caught on by now and and, and ended that assumption. Um, I mean, there's, there's going to be disparaging stuff happening soon anyway, because like with the Valve Index, with the controller difference between, you know, like the Rift S and the Quest and the Index, there's going to be the more VR consoles come in their own and become their own thing. You know, you're going to have games like the Index games, which are going to take advantage of the fact that you have all these like finger tensile movements that are minute and intricately able to manipulate the game world. And then, you know, Oculus games are not going to be able to do that. So the further we move into that sort of space where they're different, games are going to have to be different as well. Also, VR stealth games. There's a few like really good concepts of it. Um, like Payday Two has a heavy stealth element in its VR version. There's uh, the Persistence on PSVR, and Budget Cuts. Budget Cuts Two is about to come out. And what you can do in VR that you can't really do in a traditional gaming medium is actually control how much of your head is poking out of cover, so you can peek at bad guys through all sorts of of sneaky little spots that are that are harder to control with a traditional controller and and the fan base of these things does not seem ready to picture the same stuff going through their head that I think I think me and Matt, and now Liam, now that you're on the train, I think what, what's going through our heads is a lot different from 
from what's going through their heads if you scroll through the reactions to this news on 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 social media platforms. Uh, I would say for me, like the biggest reaction I have to this is the exclusivity to Oculus because yeah. it sucks having to you know, like rig it and just to make it work on your Vive. But yeah. it's Ubisoft. Like, I just imagine Ubisoft not having close ties to to neither Facebook nor Oculus in the grand scheme of things in the long term. I'd I'd wait like a couple years to get mad. Like like after I, I was holding on to the possibility as an example of Red Dead Redemption eventually coming out to the PC. I didn't start feeling burned on that until years after it never happened. This is a case where I'm still willing to wait and see if it happens. Yeah. 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 Next story, I think, is uh, a lot less sides to take here. I've I've seen and expect uh, I've seen reactions and expect our reactions to more or less fall in line with Wow, fuck these guys. It's mm. about G2A. Have you guys ever bought a game on G2 G2A? Once. No. And I would never do it again. Which which game was it? Uh, it was years ago. I can't. I think it. I can't. I think it maybe have been Total War Shogun. I think maybe. Huh, yeah, not a bad choice. I think it was when I first moved to Japan. Yeah, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't Total. I know exactly what game it was. It was Metal Gear Solid Five for oh. the PC. <laughs> and the only reason I did it, the only reason I did buy it of GTA is G Two A was because I just moved to Japan. It was the week I moved to Japan, and I was desperate. It was the week. Metal Gear Solid 5 came out and I was desperate to play it, of course, but the only way I could buy it in Japan uh, without like my Steam account getting fucked up and realizing I was in Japan and all this kind of stuff was to go through uh, G2A. And that's it. I felt dirty doing it. Well, at least what your purchase might have done is fuck over Konami in a little itty bitty way during, during their unflattering chapters circa 2015, 2016. Um, mine was Duke Nukem 3d. There was a prior version of Duke Nukem 3d that had gone off the market back when it was 3d realms presents Duke Nukem 3d before it became Randy Pitchford presents Duke Nukem 3d with worse sound effects and laggier controls and it was weird. The process was weird. You, uh, I think, had to hook up with another Steam user at the time. That that the, the friend connection automatically had them send a, a message or something. There was some social layer to it that was very unconventional. The price, of course, was too good to be true, and I justified it to myself by the fact that the version of Duke I wanted to buy was no longer on one of the digital marketplaces at the time, and. Yeah, it's funny that in both our cases, we're kind of pushed to G2A for for extenuating circumstances. In your case, it was a region thing. In my case, it was a game going off the market. But in in a lot of cases, a lot of keys on there are for otherwise available games at reasonable prices on other stores. Uh, G2A is a shady key reseller. Shady people who buy unused game keys, uh, which can be legitimately acquired from things like bundles, uh, free giveaways, I don't know how legit this would be, but, but the cheaper version of Chinese online stores. But then there's the big elephant in the room, which is that it has happened with uh, stolen credit card information in the past as well. They've taken oh. some measures to try to prevent that, but that more or less put a permanent stain on the on the company that is 
coming back in an ugly way this week. Um, ironically, two AAA companies have had problems with G2A. In, in 2015, Ubisoft issued a recall of keys that were sold through there because ultimately, I mean, if the price of something is too good to be true, chances are that's that's exactly what's happening. It's, it's probably too good to be true. So on uh, July 30th, Mike Rose, who's the founder of indie publisher No More Robots, which uh, recently released one of my favorite games of the past year, Hypnospace Outlaw, posted... They also released one of my favorite games of this year, Descenders. Oh, yeah, Descenders. Yeah. Um, yeah, No no More Robots. Good publisher. I, Man, I don't know what the hell indie's supposed to mean anymore. Mike Rose, Mike Rose is a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, there uh, as emotional support for for my interview with with Jay Tholen because Jay Tholen was a little camera shy when I was at GDC. Anyways, hello. Um, he posted a series of tweets noting that G2A had bought Google Ads, which means that if you don't have an ad blocker installed, those Google Ads appear before your Google search results. So if you start searching for for their their games, uh, the G2A store. Yeah, I was noticing that I was getting G2A adverts on YouTube. Ugh. That might be because of a like damage control PR blitz they were doing after this fact. But he wrote a series of, of tweets that became very popular um, asking people to just straight up pirate their games instead of buy them on G2A. What will happen sometimes is if a purchase is made on G2A that is with a stolen credit card, uh, whoever had their credit card stolen is going to complain about it, and the bank is going to start issuing refunds and chargebacks. And that can actually cause developers a loss that has had a, a terrible effect on a lot of them. And in 2016, there was a post from uh, TinyBuild who, who went over some of the... the the uh, indie devs that were hit hardest by this. But um, yeah, Micro's focus is on indie games on the platform and specifically. And in response, G2A did some interviews and some articles. One of them was on BBC where their representative said, quote, hundreds of developers earn money from selling their keys through marketplaces such as G2A. If someone wants to do something illegal, they know they'll have to face the consequences. <laughs> if you pirate a game tonight... The police are watching you. This is the internet. There's not a lot of consequences to be faced by a lot of the, the, the softer crimes people get away with on the internet. There was a big gamesindustry.biz article that uh, I suspect might have been been pushed by a, a G2A rep wanting to, to state their side of the story. Um, that literally has the headline like, G2A, colon, quote, we want to finally stop the accusations we've been getting, quote, they walk their way through some interview quotes that, in my opinion, don't really uh, redeem them that much. Quotes such as, indie games are only 8% of our sales. Uh, quote, if G2A were to shut down, selling game keys wouldn't disappear. Quote, it, fuck off, really? That's still 8% of, of your product makers getting fucked over. And uh, in, in response, Mike Rose then started a change.org petition. Good luck changing things with the change.org petition, specifying that, yeah, while 8% of the games sold on G2A might be indie games, most of the games being made in the world are by indie game developers. And also, I do want to point out that even AAA companies like Ubisoft have had problems with this company. It's like, the list of people who don't like it spans the spectrum from indie to AAA. Both worlds don't like this company reselling their keys. Um, 
so so this story kept getting wilder and worse. There was a indie game journalist slash translator named Thomas Faust, who works for IndieGames.com, who shared a mass email that he got from G2A that was offering him money to publish an article they wrote themselves defending themselves. And this backfired spectacularly, because why the hell would you try... Their whole point of, of the journalists is to bring to light shady stuff going on. Kotaku ran a feature on this article. It was sent out to 10 different um, publications. And in response, G2A threw whoever wrote it under the bus. They said this was written by a rogue employee who is obviously not following our policy when it's clear by now that their policy is to not leave a paper trail and, and try to save their image at whatever the moral cost is. And... Uh, uh, yeah, it, it, they, they also clarified in their own apology for this rogue employee that it was sent out to at least nine other media outlets in addition to, to some indie games. I wonder if it's in my inbox, actually. I'll do a search right now. I, I doubt they would think I would go with it. And, and if it showed up in one of the big... Ooh, what is this? Ooh. Ooh. Okay, they did offer me something. Um... Wait. Are you kidding? No, this is old. This is from a couple months ago, rather than the same email Thomas Faust was getting, but it is a kind of affiliate program they were running called Goldmine. Mm. Um, we're offering our affiliate program called Goldmine and other forms of sponsorship, such as financial support, custom discount codes for your fans, and many more. If you're interested in partnership with our site, please write me back. Yeah, that's less egregious than straight up, if you're interested in publishing this article, please write us back with how much money you oh, I thought they were trying to buy you. The I thought we'd finally got the corrupt bunny hop out. Uh, I mean, kind of, yeah. It was, like, some sort of affiliate program, but I doubt they would have sent this email to... to Journos with a better reputation. I, I, I don't know if, if you guys have heard of, of Thomas Faust's work before now, but his reaction to this mass email was just straight up, LOL, no, and I'm going to repost it on Twitter and tell everyone. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, fucking over indie devs and AAA devs alike and trying to bribe game journalists is not how you're going to save this company's image. Pouring a shitload of money into Google ads, on the other hand, might be, but... But yeah, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you guys feel, but I'm, I'm thoroughly in the fuck these guys camp. Um, can you explain Change.org to me? Like, what exactly does it do? Change.org is a website where pretty much anyone can write a petition for pretty much anything, and it uh, causes some controversy every now and then. And uh, I, 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 but it, they can't. It doesn't have any weight. Yes, there's no obligation to follow the request of a change.org petition. And I'm wondering, actually, if uh, it was a government... No, it's not a government thing. For some reason, I had confused this thing with the White House petition website that Obama set up. But change.org is a private company, for-profit. Anyone can post anything on it. It's, it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. What it does instead is make a statement. If the signatures on, on your petition are by reputable, verifiable personalities, and if it amasses a lot. I think in Mike Rowe's case, he got 4,000 people to uh, uh, sign the petition. And 
Yeah, that's that. That's how news is created from Change.org. Is if it's by someone notable, or if it's signed by someone notable, uh, or if the topic on the petition is just completely ridiculous. Well, you know, change the Little Mermaid from black to white. Mm, yeah, yeah. Change.org petitions are uh, great headline fodder for slow news days. And, and, you know, and and the thing is, you know, Little Mer- Hollywood is just using, you know the black girl as a way to get black people on their side. Like it's just, it's just to sell more tickets. Like diversity is using, is, is a tool now, you know, put black people in everything turn, you know, and, and you get money. That's just, that's just the new thing now. So this is capitalism. Is diversity it, is a product being sold in the market. You know, I, I agree with someone online said, um, he said, why not just make a, a brand new story with a black character instead of trying to replace a white character with a black character? I just don't get why it makes people so mad. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me. I, I mean, I watched all the Disney movies when I was young, but it, I don't know. I just don't have like, oh, my God, it has to be this way. Like The Lion King. I watched That's that a million times. That's because you're an times. adult. That's because you're a normal adult. And you know that these movies are not for you. And and Lion King. Like, I watched it a million times when I was young. It's, it's, I love it. But, and I saw the new Lion King, and it looks bit like the mouth moving with the songs. They look like it they're looks dead. Bad. They look yeah. like they're taxidermized, stuffed, real animals yeah. that are, like, on puppet strings. The, the, you know, like, these this good actors, good music, but the animals just don't match the the voice you know their mouth moves weirdly they can't animate it properly but i don't care like that they did something wrong it's not i'm gonna i'm not gonna lose sleep over that i'm gonna go sleep just fine and i don't (laughs) as soon as i see it i'm like oh that sucks and i move on with my life i don't know it's weird it's it's weird I've, i've never been that passionate about stuff like that yeah well that's like I guess I should clarify. I, I believe that, that Disney and capitalism have turned diversity and outrage in response to it into a product in our in our market. Yes. Get those tickets sold. <laughs> oh, weirdly enough, just very quickly, I actually kind of enjoyed Aladdin. There you go. Thrown out there. Oh, you, you saw it? I did. I went and watched it on Sunday, and I was uh, surprised. I thought How's it would my be main man Will, man. I thought it'd be total oh, garbage, man. but Will was actually pretty good. Okay. Anyway, I I, I should watch it. Thanks for coming to when my TED Talk on DVD. I've I've really generally liked the trailers of of that one, The Lion King. I have no interest in, and I doubt I'm gonna have any interest in The Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna mm. be weird, man. Mm. <laughs> I don't know how they're gonna animate her hair. <laughs> mm. I can say that because I'm black. (laughs) (laughs) This case, this case, no one knows (laughs) here listening to this podcast, and everyone gets silent every time. (laughs) You guys can laugh, you know that, right? I'm thinking real hard about how to transition into the (laughs) listeners after that. Oh my god. Um, speaking of, uh, of outrage, oh, 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 speaking of marketing on outrage, if you are outraged, send us an email at dadandsonspodcast at gmail.com so we can turn it into a product. Uh, we got some, we, we got a good backlog of questions to go through after I, uh, uh, 
did my desperate call out for more a couple weeks ago. This week, Lone T is uh, going to be bringing us in. They had a uh, nice little explanation on how the DVD menus for Evangelion are apparently really fun and that Netflix viewers are missing out on on some cool gags and easter eggs they threw into those which brings him to the question or or them rather i, sh- I should clarify what are some movie and video game menus that are notable to you what are some what some some movie and video game menus that are notable to you i like when it starts immediately <laughs> like like gt gta um man no that loading screen no that's a that's a no for me um (laughs) like i do like when like uh middle gear solid 5 when you're at the start and you just press right inside of the the acc um oh yeah yeah the helicopter man helicopter yeah um stuff like that is pretty fun i can't i I feel like there's there's a couple that i can share i got a deep I think uh, the Skyrim ones are pretty good, where it shows like a model, like a 3D model of uh, something in the game, and then it has like a little bit about it, and you could zoom in and like move them around. I I wish there was a little more going on. The Oblivion menu is memorable to me. Remember how it had like music loading up to uh, the the logo animation with the map that faded in? I don't remember. No, no. Oh, well, well, Oblivion menu, I I, I want to point out. There was a Dragon Ball game. I think it was one of the Budokai Tenkaichi games, one of the fighting games. There was one where you could spin. It was like Master Roshi in the corner, and he was like on a turtle. <laughs> and you could like you could spin the analog sticks to make him go faster. And I always thought as a kid that it was making the game load faster, but of course I was just dumb. MGS has uh, typically had pretty pretty fun menus the mgs3 one is is always good fun to play around with the analog sticks and change the background color Uh, the one that immediately jumped out to me from the question though are late 90s turn of the millennium ea sports games they had some really fancy animations and like a little news ticker at the bottom that had gameplay tips on it and it's been cool to see how they try to adapt to uh, whatever's happening on cable TV sports networks at the time. Like, as egregious as it is that they make you watch a commercial, apparently, in this year's NBA game, it's still, like, like when I was watching it on YouTube, I thought it was super cool that they transitioned from the commercial into a panel of anchors sitting at a desk who were, who were commentating on, on the game that was about to happen. I just realized what the best one is. Oh, yeah? Uh, I guess this is video game menus. I don't know why I'm thinking of loading screens, but the best loading screen is easily Bayonetta because you get to play oh, yeah. the game. You get to practice yeah, combos while you're waiting for why the game. Why don't they over. do that for DMC5? Anyways. I'm not really sure how this transitioned into best loading screens, but video game menus, I don't know. Ones that have... I, some of the Final Fantasy Square Enix RPGs have like always excellent, like clean title screens like you know the white and black and then it'll have like Yoshitaka Amano's artwork for the game and then it'll have like the Final Fantasy prelude music or or the title theme for the game and they're always really classy. Mm. I can tell what game we haven't played by our answers to this question and that is Persona 5. When Persona 5 came out, everyone was was creaming their pants over how cool the menu design was. Yeah. I I'm trying to see Dragon Ball Legends to see if uh the 
that's the menu screen I'm thinking of because Dragon Ball did when you told me that I was like man Dragon Ball did have some good loading screens and I'm wondering how the menu screen looked. yeah there was quite a few there was like the Dragon Radar one as well they were yeah, always interactive like, or there was something about them that was always interactive and I'm not talking about the the mobile game I'm talking about the PlayStation One game it's an old old game where it, it like it was the only one that was actually fighting like dragon ball it was like this big open map and you could just toss people into like uh buildings and stuff and and and, and mountains <laughs> it was probably, nuts probably man. like tenkaichi or something maybe on ps2 it was called dragon ball legends i, I think i still have it actually oh. it's in my box it's it's um a ps1 dragon ball z legends dragon ball z legends sorry dragon yeah. ball z legends yeah that's uh, that's coming up on the google yeah that that one and yeah that that's the one that's that was cool it looks a little zoomed in i remember it being zoomed out a little bit oh oh it does zoom out but yeah yeah it's, uh, <laughs> yeah it's dope man it's dope it was a dope little game when you're young and you're watching dragon ball z you know running home to watch tsunami you know after school dude this was the shit yeah. liam will never have these memories <laughs> wait what <laughs> of uh of toonami dude we had toonami too wait you did yeah toonami is literally all of what? my memories it would be like i'd get home i'd watch the simpsons then malcolm in the middle then i'd watch buffy the vampire slayer and then it would only be toonami it'd be like big o gundam wing tenchi uh tenchi moyo in tokyo dragon ball like every freaking to- toonami show man i didn't know they had it in the the uk yeah Always used to make me cry when I used to see the highlight clips of Goku. It'd be like, "I wanna be a spaceman." That's so good. Remember when they did when they did game reviews? I don't remember that part. Who was the voice of the the the? Was it Steve Blum? The Toonami Robot Man. Yeah. Oh oh, his name was Tom. Let's see. Voice actor Steve Blum from two thousand to two thousand eight hey. and present day. Wow. Okay. There you go. All right. Uh, next question is by Ann H, who has one for all of us. For Liam, they ask, as a software developer, what video game series would you reboot but with a twist? And I define twist as something like taking Super Mario and making it into something like Amnesia. A total genre change. Damn. Uh, well, I'm not really a software developer, but okay. Um <laughs> A reboot with a twist. I would turn Super Smash Brothers into a Final Fantasy Tactics style game. Well, yeah, yeah, you. I think you've mentioned that idea in the past, yeah. and it's it's a it's a tantalizing prospect. Think think about it. Like, you do you know what Project Cross Zone is? It was like a three DS series that was based around all of like Capcom's characters. Oh, Project X Zone. Yeah, <laughs> I missed the Z. You missed the X. it's cross because it's like as in like crossing the the franchises but anyway crossover yeah like crossover yeah Yeah. um that style of gameplay where it was tactics based and all the characters like dante and frank west and mega man and like x and zero and uh even kazuma kiru like it had some sega titles in there like that style of gameplay taking everybody's unique like sets of moves and like individual characteristics but doing that for smash brothers 
would be like what I would do. It'd be great. Sign up to my Kickstarter tomorrow. For Matt, regarding RPGs and MMOs and how quest givers become nameless NPCs once their quest lines are finished, how would you, as an experienced player, change a quest giver to still be relevant until the end of the game? I thought about having a quest giver getting kidnapped and having you rescue them, which could change the NPC and give it an additional storyline, as, as an example. Hmm. Oh, okay, so he's saying... Like, not just, like, a repeatable quest that you just come to and play, like, a variation of the same quest. Like, uh, like he says, getting kidnapped. So, if you're getting kidnapped it, and he takes him to a different place where if you have different types of gameplay and, you know, sort of different places, like, on top of a jumping puzzle or, or like, inside of a valley where there's, like, a world boss. Um, he's, he's not talking about that. He's talking about just, like, a storyline based on this character. I would... I would, I mean, it, it, I mean, you would treat it like any other NPC then. Because unless you're trying to do what I just mentioned, um, you just treat it like any other NPC for it being rev uh, relevant um, as part of the story. You go back to them and you talk to them because they're, I don't know, they're some scientist or something like that. It, it all depends. Like, I need, a, I think, a little bit more information <laughs> of how you can make him or her um just part of your story for the entirety of the game unless you're just trying to do like a just a quest giver not part of the you know just a little bit part of the storyline nothing too intense because you could make it a joke character too you could make it like huh. oh he keeps getting kidnapped no. in that way <laughs> like you know it it's and then you could have rewards like based on how many like every level uh, every 10 levels there's like a certain reward you get for rescuing him or her um probably him you don't want to do rescuing her don't don't do the stereotype um and uh, or or maybe it could be a her but she starts um like she just starts learning how to fight and then it changes the it changes from rescuing to something else entirely. Instead of uh, rescuing her, um, I don't know. She rescues you somehow. I don't know how your gameplay is, <laughs> but yeah, it, it would be interesting. I I would have to know more information. I'm just tossing out random things right now. So hopefully that jogs some juices if you're actually creating something. So yeah. Uh, for George, regarding EA being notorious for crunching its employees back in the late 90s, you are a game media journalist and can bring up these issues to average players, but how would you suggest the average player protest to a company? There is a very valid response that if you don't buy their games, that workers will be fired. The thing is, is that the people at the very, very top of these companies have enough money to, to handle that loss, generally speaking. And also, in, in the case of EA in particular, I think... Um, there, there were the wives. Well, there were Rockstar wives, but a few years before that 2004 controversy, I believe there was another big uh, blog post written by wives of EA employees who were uh, uh, sick of seeing their, their spouses toil away. Um, and again, there was, there's always been backlash against EA since, since the days of, of Bullfrog and Westwood getting shut down. And... The story I also believe regarding that is a little more complicated. Nowadays, the backlash tends to be about um, 
microtransactions and, 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 and gambling mechanics more so than anything else because if you've noticed on all these big Jason Schreier exposés on crunch in the video game industry, EA's typically not included. Um, and Liam might be able to corroborate me on this, but I have heard through the grapevine from developers that nowadays EA is actually one of the companies you want to be working for because they don't do crunch anymore, which I would assume means that at some point having uh, uh, the combined consumer outrage plus the spouses of the workers being outraged actually did gradually over the decade roll into some big systematic changes that have had them at least being able to sit out that controversy. Uh, uh, Liam, you think you, you hear anything like that or, or is it, is it just um, I don't know anything specific to EA. Obviously EA is, EA is a huge company with multiple divisions and multiple studios under its branch and those studios are all managed internally by themselves. So whatever happens inside of those studios, I don't think EA has any influence over really apart from regards to like budgeting and like time pressure and maybe sometimes creative structure, but I'm not really sure in regards to that, but there has been a change and that is in due huge part, obviously to Jason Schreier and, and him influencing a lot of other journalists to take up the mantle of being like, it's okay to report on stuff like this. Now you're yeah. not going to get blacklisted. You should be reporting on this kind of stuff. Um, and even like open critic, you know, were talking about having a crunch. They were like floating around the idea of having, when games get reviewed or like uh, when the embargo drops on game reviews, having like a, a form for which like employees could anonymously like submit yeah. feedback for yeah, exactly. how hard crunch was of the development of a game. So that can be shown alongside the score, but I don't think something like that is going to work necessarily because obviously I... the system would have to, you know, you'd have to have verifications instead of like people just being like, oh yeah, I worked like a hundred hour weeks on this forever. I hate this company kind of thing. I don't think that there's any one particular piece that fixes the problem so much as it's a prolonged effort from multiple directions over a period of years that gradually fixes the problem. Because, But in my mind, this really does begin with insiders whistleblowing. It's about getting the, the, the workers to be able to cooperatively sign off on some unflattering piece of information that they all corroborate together that gradually snowballs into real change happening years on down the road. And, uh, and, and EA being an example of that, because, yeah, I, I, I do think that over the decade they... They have taken initiatives to to try and fix this crunch that they were experiencing in the late 90s. And uh, that's the the combined effort of, of both the people who work on games and the people who buy games. Everyone on both sides ultimately needs to speak out and, and not let them forget it, I guess. The more too. studios change as well. Like we have such a rise in indie studios and indie studios that are actually becoming companies and now this kind of thing I hope will just phase out of existence anyway, but it's going to take time. 
And last but not least, we have a question from Dave B. asking about arcade ports. Arcade ports or emulations often give you infinite credits, and many arcade games of the late 80s and onward did let you continue right where you died just by playing another credit. So you can credit feed your way through these games with no challenge at all. How do you experience games like that in any remotely authentic way? Never using continues doesn't seem authentic to the real arcade experience either. Do you have any strategies for that, or suggestions for how game developers should implement credits in their arcade game ports? Those games were hard to eat your credits they were designed to do that so like it's literally like capitalism at its finest hour the games were designed to eat your quarters it wasn't about making a good game experience it was about making money being able now to use save states to to essentially repair that damage and just play the game as a good game like a designed game shows the flaws in how games like that were designed um, I much prefer not to go back to that type of era of gaming. Playing arcade games with the ability to not have to put a quarter in the machine is both eye-opening and Pandora's box and a godsend all in one. Because at first, they'd be too hard for most people to play through on one quarter anyway. For second, you also realize that they are designed that way to be quarter munchers. And for third, you then learn how short a lot of arcade games really were. You can go through Metal Slug in like 30, 45 minutes. It's a lunch break. I recently played through pretty much all of the Capcom uh, beat-em-up games, you know, that were released in that the yeah. Switch, like, the compact pack. port thing. Like, the, in Japan, it's called the Belt Action Scroll Game Collection or something. <laughs> Belts like 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 a belt getting fed. Yeah, yeah, machine? that's what they're called in Japan. That huh. genre, that genre that's, that's is super belt interesting, actually. That I wonder what that does to like change one's mental image of what a side-scrolling screen looks like in there. Yeah, well, anyway, it keeps moving, right? But I, I, I played do... through all, I played through all of the games on there because you can now. Like I played through all of them, and they were loads of fun. But I didn't have to deal with the complete frustration of. The game being massively cheap and frustrating because it wants to take my money. I, I believe that playing these games nowadays by yourself in a room with infinite continues is a pretty underwhelming experience, which brings me to my tip. Have a friend with you so you can swap the controller. That is probably a way to re-emulate the, the, the quote-unquote authenticity of how these games might might be meant to be played. That way you get... Uh, 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 some some commentary, some different perspectives. You both get to play with different strategies and see how your skills develop. And that's that's probably that's that's what I'd recommend is is the tip. Don't don't play arcade games nowadays alone. That would be fun. Uh, the social element of of arcades is something that that should be should be revisited. Ah, uh, yeah, just yeah, yeah. like get. Yeah, <laughs> get rid of like that style of game. <laughs> and with that, we're at the bottom of the list. We made it through eighty episodes. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting change. Join us again next week. <laughs> I think we have changed. Do you know what has remained as the same as ever though? Is that it's right around this time of the podcast that I gotta go to the bathroom. Say some things never change. I'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>